Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming uh, this morning. We are in the fourth part of our series um, in Daniel, um, looking at chapter 4. Um, before we get into the reading there, I wanted to ask a question. Has anyone been, had an experience where they've absolutely been humbled? Um, you only have to ask people that know me well, particularly my wife, and she'll be able to give you plenty of stories. Um, one particular one, I can remember not long ago, I borrowed my mum and dad's car. It was this blue hatchback. And I was driving home from, um, from work and stopped in at Woolies to get my groceries. And parked the car, went in, got my groceries, came out, uh, found the car, opened the, um, the boot of the car and started loading all my groceries into the boot of the car. And as I closed the boot, I looked through the back window and saw someone was sitting in the front seat of my car. And I'm thinking, why is someone sitting in our, my car? Like, this is, a bit, is someone playing a prank on me? What's going on? And, and as I like slowly or cautiously walking towards the front of the car, I then turn to, to my right and two car parks down, I see the exact same car, the blue hatchback. And it dawned on me, I've put my groceries in someone else's car. And as I, as, as I turned to the, the front seat of the car and I saw the guy and he looked at me and he was like, what are you doing? And I actually, I, know, I, I said to him, I was like, I'm so sorry, mate. I put my groceries in, your, in the back of your car. I'm just going to get them out now. And I, so I go to the back of the car, grab my groceries, quickly put them in my car and I was out of there like a flash. And it's funny, it's like one of those times where you actually wish you did have a COVID mask because, and dark sunglasses and a hat and they wouldn't recognise you. But um, I'm sure many of you probably have stories where you've been humbled, um, been embarrassed. And um, we're going to be looking at a story today of a guy um, who probably been, uh, this, this story actually shows of a lot more humbling than that story of mine, but um, we're going to be reading from chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them out. If you've got devices, grab them out. Um, I'll be reading a bit of a chunk here. It's from verse 24 to 37. I have it up on the screen there. This is the interpretation, O King. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord King, that you shall be driven from, uh, from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat like, like, like an, grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the, the kingdom of hev- the, the, rules the kingdom of men and gives to, the, to whom He will. And as He, as it was commanded to leave the to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed to you from the time that you know that, that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may, may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. 
And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew, with, with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws." At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to the heavens, to heaven, and my reason restored to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand... Or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty, and the splendor returned to me. My counsels and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray as we um, reflect on your, your word, your Bible, and reflect on this story of Nebuchadnezzar, that you would just open our eyes and let our ears be attentive to your voice and what you are trying to teach us today. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. So, um, it's interesting about this chapter is is it's written mostly by King Nebuchadnezzar. It's one of the most, he's one of the most quoted pagan monarchs in the Bible. And I found that quite an interesting fact. And this, um, this is actually a testimony of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling experience that teaches an important truth about you and I. But who is Nebuchadnezzar? I've got a picture up here, a bit of an artist's impression, probably quite correct. Looks like a pretty proud man. Now, he was one of the most notorious pagan monarchs of the time, mentioned in the Bible. And um, he overthrew many nations, including Israel, and destroyed Israel's temple. And as we've been reading in the past few chapters of, of Daniel, we know that he brought many Jews of captivity into Babylon. Now, he was the most, like the absolute authority of the, of the known world. He was at the pinnacle of power. He was probably the most richest most powerful person of the time, and probably even more known, he knows power more than most people ever, even today, would know power, wealth, and, and, um, and influence. And um, just an example here, and the next slide is a, is a picture, you may have heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was his house, essentially, his palace. So being at the pinnacle of power, Nebuchadnezzar's life absolutely falls apart in this story. But the incredible part here is that he's actually glad that it happens. In the end, he praises God. He praises God that this happens to him. But why, why does he praise God? Why is he glad it happened? Because there was this spiritual cancer within him that it was so bad and it was so dangerous and it so poisoned his soul so deeply that as drastic as the treatment was, it was worth it to get it out of him, to get it out of his soul. 
What is that? What is that spiritual cancer? It's called pride, a spiritual pride. And um, we all have this sense in us to want to be someone, to want to be the best at something, to want to make a, known, uh, make a name for ourselves. Uh, and in us, we all do have this sense of pride, right? But I guess the question I want to ask today is, is this, is are, are we as clouded by our pride as Nebuchadnezzar was? Are we as clouded by our own pride as Nebuchadnezzar was? Is, part of our, is our life falling apart? Or part of our life's falling apart? And do we need to learn this same lesson that he learnt? So as we took a, take a look at this story, we want to look at what it teaches us about pride and compare it to what God actually wants to see in us as the alternative pride. So what's the alternative pride? It is humility, right? So the first thing we can learn about pride is this is that pride breeds discontentment. Now, if we go to the first um, part, so just the next slide there, Dave. Um, Pride breeds discontentment. The first part of um, chapter 4, in verse 4, it actually reads this. Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream, and and that made me afraid. So this is a guy who's at the pinnacle power, absolute, absolute monarch of the day, absolute authority over everything that he knew of, over all the world that he knew. And there was no army big enough than, bigger than his army. He had no, absolute no threat, but he couldn't sleep. He was afraid. He says, I was content and prosperous, but I was afraid. What could the most powerful person of the world be afraid of? What is there to be afraid of? And in that dream, earlier in the chapter, it talks about a tree. In the dream, he saw a tree. It reached out to the heavens, and it was so large that everything in the earth was under the tree. Every living animal found food and life under the tree. Everything in the whole world was protected and looked after by this tree. It was an incredible tree. But suddenly, in the dream, a voice came from heaven, and the, dream, and the voice says this. It says, cut down the tree. Lop off its branches, shake off, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and roots in the ground. So what was the purpose of all this? The voice then says, so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. So you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar is pretty upset and he calls Daniel, who Daniel's had interpreted dreams for him before, and he calls him in and he, and he asks Daniel to interpret the dream. And Daniel is absolutely terrified. In verse 22, he says this, That tree, your majesty, is you, for you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Now, Daniel is saying that God is actually coming to humble you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's coming to cut you down, to show you you are not the master of your universe or the universe. Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar, he says, change, turn from your ways, repent. Help the the oppressed, humble yourself, and maybe, maybe this will not happen to you. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. And we continue with the story. But uh, sorry, before we continue with the story, there's this, the first truth that we can learn from this 
as I stated before, that pride breeds discontentment. Um, No matter how accomplished we are, no matter how accomplished we desire to be, it will never satisfy us. And you can ask many people who, and many famous people have quoted before that, you know, wealth, fame, money, all these things, they don't satisfy. And even though Nebuchadnezzar said he was content in his palace, in his home, his troubled mind shows us that deeper inside there was a struggle going on for true peace and fulfillment. See, Nebuchadnezzar came to see that the human soul wants something so, so great that it is so, it's so big that you cannot even pour all the empires of the whole world into your soul, into your heart, and be satisfied. So what then are we actually really after, right? What could it be that our hearts long for so much that the entire world, world cannot satisfy What we know it's not. It's not through our achievements. It's not through gaining more and more things, more influence, more money, more fame, more wealth, more status. Pride in ourselves does not actually bring true, deep, true contentment. C.S. Lewis, um, one of my favourite authors, he's got a lot of amazing quotes, and I will be quoting a couple of things from him today. But he says this, For pride is a spiritual cancer, it, eat, it eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only ha- out of having more of it than the next man. And Nebuchadnezzar could not sleep. He couldn't find rest, couldn't find contentment in his pride, and neither can we. We will not find rest there. But what did Jesus say? We even sang part of this verse of Jesus' words. It says in Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But weary from what? In our context of what I'm talking about today, weary from this constant striving of trying to find satisfaction, meaning, security, in our achievements. And like Nebuchadnezzar, we want to be at the master of our own universe. But what does Jesus mean when he says, come to me? He's, he means humble, humbly surrender to him and I will give you rest. Jesus offers us a contentment that goes far beyond our physical needs but gives us a deep sense of peace, a rest for our souls. So that's the first thing that we learn about pride, is that pride breeds discontentment, but Jesus brings rest through humility. The second thing we can learn from this story about pride is this, that pride sees life as a deserved right. Now, back to the story, Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen, obviously, and 12 months later, what does he say? He says, at at the end of the 12 months, I was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. What does he say? He says, By my mighty power. 
and for the glory of my majesty. Now, these are the, these are the comments and the words of, of, of they're the result of a heart that is filled with pride, absolutely filled with pride. But when I say pride, like I'm, we're not meaning like the same sort of pride that we commonly use in common language where um, you might be proud of your child for winning a race. You might be proud of someone who, or proud of yourself for uh, overcoming a challenge. This is a, this is a, pr- a spiritual pride that looks at life and all the good things in life and says that I did it and I'm due it. I'm due these things. I deserve all these things. In Nebuchadnezzar's words, he says, I did it by my mighty power, and I'm due it for the glory of my majesty. And this is what pride is. Pride says that it is because of me, it's because of my accomplishments, it's because I've worked harder than the other person over there. I worked smarter than them. I worked more ethically than them. I deserve this. I deserve it, and I'm owed it. But you might be thinking that some, like, you might think, well, I don't have a lot going on in my life. Um... My life's not going great. I haven't achieved great things like Nebuchadnezzar has. But when your life is going bad, what do you say? You say, oh, I'm some, some people might say, I'm suffering more than that other person. It's not fair. Why does anyone, why, why does anyone have it? Why, why does other people have it easier than me? Why do they have more, more than me? But basically you're saying the same thing is that I deserve better. I des- I'm still owed it. I'm still owed more than what I have, and it's the same thing. Whether your life is going well or your life is going poorly, spiritual pride forces you to believe that you deserve more or are owed more than what you've received. I love this definition um, from one of my favorite preachers on pride and humility. Tim, Tim Keller says this. He says, pride is that which claims to be the author of what is really a gift. Pride is what makes you look at life and say, I am the author of that, when it's a sheer gift. Pride is a form of cosmic plagiarism. Something has, something has, brought, has been brought into your life, something has given, been given to you, and you say, I wrote it, I composed it, I did it. You claim to be the author of that which is a sheer gift. Humility is a completely different approach. Humility looks at life like this. It's a gift. Humility looks at everything. I don't deserve this. If God gave me what I deserve, I'd be lost. Now, the difference between pride and humility is this. Pride says life is by me and for me, whereas humility says it's all a gift. It's all a gift from heaven. It's all a gift, an undeserved gift from God. Now, some might question this, and you might say, um, does that mean a humble person just sort of walks around life saying, I don't deserve anything. Poor me, I don't deserve anything. And they might just, just, you might, might say they might despise their life and that's not really a healthy way to live your life, is it? And I agree, that's not a healthy way to live. Just despising everything, saying, I don't deserve this. But what we need to make a distinction here, what of the difference between false humility and true humility. False humility um, says, I don't deserve it, so I don't want it. I'm too awful. I'm a failure. It's a reverse kind of pride because you're still saying that you you want to prove that you deserve it. You want to prove to yourself and you won't take a a gift that's free because you have to earn it. You feel like you have to earn it and it's still about you. 
it still demands you to perform for it. And I love this, um, another quote from C.S. Lewis, he says this about true humility. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of yourself or thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of, yourself, of myself less. And truly humble person stops connecting every situation, every meeting they go in, every interaction they have with people and thinking about themselves. They're thinking about other people. A truly humble person says, I don't deserve the good things in life because God, if I got what I deserved, I would be lost. But the good news is God still gives it. He still gives us the undeserved gifts. And humility has completely gotten rid of this whole system, this concept of pride. Humility says, I couldn't possibly even begin to claim ownership of the good things in my life. Who gave me my mind? Who gave me my body? Who gave me the the abilities to be able to do what I do? It's given to me as an absolute free gift, undeserved. And um, if we take a, another look at that quote I read earlier from C.S. Lewis that says, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. If we were to flip that quote and say it in the positive sense about humility, it would read this. Humility gets joy out of receiving everything as a gift, even when it means having less of it than the next man. But you might say, isn't it what's so wrong with actually saying, I deserve this, when you have actually worked really hard at something? What's so wrong about pride? And often I, um, I think a good illustration that might um, uh, sort, of, sort of demonstrate this is if, if say, um, Dan here wrote a book. He, came, he said to me, come over to my place. I've got this book that I've written. It's, my, it's the the, the only script that I've written, I think it's going to be the greatest book ever written. I've written that up there. And he gave me this script, the only script that he had, and said, have a look at it, tell me what you think. And um, I grabbed it, had a look, and I said, yeah, this is going to be the greatest book ever written. And I decided I'm going to put my name on it. And I went to a publisher. I got millions of copies published. I sold millions of copies. I took all the glory for myself. I put my name as the author on a book that Dan had written. Why would Dan be absolutely outraged? Why would you all be absolutely outraged if you found out that he had spent years writing the greatest book ever written and I had stolen that and put my name on it and I called myself the author? Because you would say that I have robbed him of his due. I have taken the glory that is owed to him. The author owns the work. The author, the true author owns his own work and the author has control over it, right? In the same way, God is our author. He is our creator. We are his work. And if we were to admit that he's he's our author, what does that mean? That means we lose control over it. We lose control over our life. And this is what the Bible calls sin to desire to control our own life and not give it over to our author. It is the sin of pride to say I am the ultimate one. He determines what I do with my life, my time, my money, me, I'm the one in charge. But if we are so self-made, think about this, what are we actually in control of? 
We, we didn't control where we were born. We didn't control who we were born to. We didn't control our gender, our race, what country. We didn't even control the century in which we were born in, which makes a huge difference to our prosperity and what we're given, right? The Apostle Paul, um, he says this to a church in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 6 to 7, he says this. He says, you will not be puffed up. In other words, you will not be proud in being a follower of one of us over, over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Humility is this, a joy-filled life that knows and receives everything as a gift. So that's the second point that we're learning from this story. That pride sees life as a deserved right, but humility sees life as a received gift. Now, just to uh, finish up on the last point here, I want to talk about the consequence of pride and the freedom of humility. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, if we follow the story, what happens to him? He becomes an animal. He's dehumanized. He he becomes an ox eating the grass on his hands and knees. And this is what pride does to us, right? It dehumanizes us. And you might have heard of the phrase, pride becomes before a fall. It's often a a phrase that people might have heard, even if you're not in the church world. But it actually comes from uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18, which reads, Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the the proverb is actually getting to a lot serious thing than just a fall, like, in the, in the saying that we use, we might say that of someone who's arrogant, walking around, thinks they're pretty arrogant, and sooner or later something's going to happen and they'll be knocked down and they'll fall from power. Their ego will be hurt. But the proverb's getting to something so much serious. The proverb is saying that pride destroys us. This is the consequence of it. It will ultimately lead to our destruction. It leads to death. But does this happen to Nebuchadnezzar? Does, he, does, it, does, does it lead to de- destruction for him? No, it doesn't. How is Nebuchadnezzar healed of his pride and freed from its consequences and his kingdom restored? How does this happen? Now, there's two things, and I think this is the, if you're not going to listen to anything else I say, this is the most important thing. There's two ways, two things that we need to realize to be healed of our pride. And the first is this, is that we have to see that we deserve, we, we don't deserve anything from God but judgment. We have to see that our cosmic plagiarism, as Tim Keller put it, is a terrible sin. We have to see that, we, that, that trying to, make our, uh, to take our life and assume that we are the author, that actually we owe everything to him, that is a terrible sin. We've sinned against a holy, a just God. But at the same time, this is the second thing we need to realize. At the same time as we realize that that is a terrible sin, we, need, we have to see that we are the objects of the greatest mercy of God. God is a merciful God. And we have to see them both, otherwise we'll not be healed from our pride. We won't truly be free unless we see both of these together. And if we look closely to Nebuchadnezzar, 
This is exactly what happens to him. In verse 34 to 35, it's up on the screen, he says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are, are counted as nothing and, his, and he does according to his will. So Nebuchadnezzar here is acknowledging his standing before his creator, humbly surrendering his will to God, to the will of God. And he says, I blessed the Most High, calling him the Most High. That He is acknowledging that he's not the Most High anymore. And then he goes on to say, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Who's he talking about? He's talking about everyone, which includes himself. He's accounting himself as nothing. His heart had completely changed from the beginning where he said, by my mighty power, for the glory of my majesty. And now what is he doing? He is praising, he is exalting, he is honoring God as the most high. And he praises God and acknowledges that he is the one who is the king. He is the king of the world and the one who showed him mercy. Because what did God do? God didn't completely uproot the tree. He just cut it down. He didn't completely destroy Nebuchadnezzar. And he could have. He could have, and he could have completely destroyed him because of his pride. And you might be thinking, well, how, how is it that, that, how could God forgive a man like this? He would have done some terrible things. I mean, Daniel alluded to it. He oppressed the people. He was an oppressor. How is it that God could show mercy on him for his pride? How is it that God can show mercy on us for our pride? And what Nebuchadnezzar didn't know, that we all know, if you've been coming to Creekside long enough, you would know the answer to this. And Nebuchadnezzar, he was not the king of the universe, but he took it as though he was. But Jesus was the one who is... Who, the only one who has ever stood on the face of this earth who was the king of the universe and he let it all go. One of my favorite passages in Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11, it says this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Not of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Have the same attitude as Jesus. Though he was God, he was God. He was the creator of all things. He was the king of kings. He was the true king of the universe. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave was born of a human born as a human being when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross by the mercy of God Jesus though Jesus was God himself took the punishment that we deserve because of our pride he died the guilty man's death why did he do it because in our pride, we want to be our own God, right? And we claim to be the author and the controller of our own lives when we are not. And therefore, Jesus Christ, he brought himself down from the highest position possible to be born as a human baby. 
And he was marred beyond human likeness for us so that we could become all that he was. And the Bible says, it says, God made him sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the essence of Christianity. In Jesus, we are healed from our pride. We are freed from the consequences of our pride, from destruction and death. And in him, we find true freedom. So what do we need to do today? What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He looked up to heaven and he said this. He said, he looked up and he praised God saying, all your works are right and your ways are just and those who walk in pride will be humbled. Can we say that today? Can we say those words? And if we do, if we humbly admit that we've stolen authorship from God and he promises he will pour out his mercy and his grace over us. And then and only then we will truly be healed from the destruction, destructive consequences of pride. And the, this is so applicable to, to us as Christians, whether we've been Christians for, for many years, every day we have to humbly come to him and say, God, you are the author of my life. What would you like me to do today? And if you're not a Christian here today, this is the essence of being a Christian. This is the essence of what we, we call salvation, is that humbly coming to God and saying, God, forgive me of the sin of pride. And he will forgive. He will pour out his mercy and his grace on us. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are a God that has mercy on us. And even though we have... Um, the sin of pride, we have sinned against the Holy God um, through wanting to take control and authorship of our own lives. But uh, as this story of Nebuchadnezzar shows, you showed mercy on him and you show mercy on us through the, through the death of Jesus on the cross. You paid that price so that we may be able to be reconciled with you, God. And we thank you. Lord, we pray today that we be, may be able to be um, filled with your joy and be a humble person knowing that you have rescued us and you've given every single part of our life as a free gift and we thank you. Amen.